Welcome to Pinnacle. Brought to you by Reach Outcomes. We are rehabilitation and performance experts based in Austin, Texas. We'll be bringing you knowledge and actionable steps from all disciplines of human performance to take you to the next level. Level. I'm going to let Dr. Alexis take over the intro and the introducing of, of Dr. Oh, Irwin. Goodness. The, the oh, pressure goodness. of introducing Erwin Valencia. That is that's a pressure I don't know I was ready for. <laughs> um, the Erwin Valencia. Gosh, we when did I meet him? Um, this is like classic networking 101, like in PT school, go to your professor ask if he knows anyone in the realm of sports PT. And he just so happens to say, yeah, I, you know, I have a mate. He was Australian. So he had a mate um, who works in major league baseball right now. Let's just give him a call. So I'm a first year PT student, like sitting in his office and the phone starts ringing and we're calling this guy. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to say to him, <laughs> but he picks up. And then um, long story short, my professor is like, hey, I got this girl here. She's a good student and she wants to be, you know, in sports PT. What can you do for her? And I, I don't even remember what I said, to be honest. I still like vaguely remember that day. It was like, did that really just happen? But that's how I initially was connected to Irwin. And then... Um, gosh, I like, you know, fangirled his career, like stocked sort of where he's been, what he's been doing. And the, um, the Pittsburgh Pirates were actually coming to Chicago not so long after that. And so showed up at a Cubs game and was able to connect in person. And I mean, my gosh, history, that was in, in 2010. So <laughs> 10 years ago that's so crazy when I just was like you know this young bright-eyed PT student like just make it through PT school I want to work with athletes I want to you know figure out how to make a career in this space and um and Irwin was like thrown in front of me it was like the biggest blessing and has been kind of just walking the path with me the whole time. So truly one of my greatest mentors, um, professionally and personally, and um, that is Erwin Valencia. So here he is. Wow. Thank you, Alexis, for such a great- Of course. You did leave out the fact that I was like, like sneak attacked, right? You didn't leave out the fact <laughs> it I was- absolutely attacked. was. You had no idea. And you were pretty much forced to mentor me. So- <laughs> That's pretty cool. I don't think you were forced to do it for 10 years, but initially you were forced to meet me and I don't you, regret you it. You showed up at the hotel. I mean, like, that like sounds I, just to you. I know there's a conference going on or something like that, but pretty much. I, sure I was here. I was like, where do you live anyways? Um, like probably like 45 minutes away from here yep. or something. I'm like, what? It, it totally was. What? It was worth it. Looking back. So worth it. So you drove 45 minutes for the initial mentorship? I did because I, I wasn't living downtown and he was like at a some conference symposium yeah. or something and literally it was like it was like a CSM like you need a badge to get in I obviously didn't have a badge but it was a break so I just like still walked in and met him during a break and he went you know back into 
courses or sessions afterwards. But so it wasn't a fashionable hat conference. No, <laughs> no, it was one of those serious kind of conferences. I think that was yeah, yeah. That was a a, a <laughs> my alter ego. I think sometimes I've, I'm trying to figure out whether or not my alter ego is this personality or it's the personality that actually shows up in the basketball court on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, well, really that's mean. what I was gonna say. They people don't even know about like Burning Man <laughs> Irwin, and <laughs> there are many, many Irwins. <laughs> Many, many, absolutely. I'd like to hear on on record some of these Burning Man or <laughs> Are we going to be able to fit all these stories non non physical therapy conversation? Okay, got it. <laughs> that's on brand for Reach, I think. That, that's Burning Man that's mental. That's mental, physical, and spiritual therapy right there. That's what um, I hear. Go integrated approach. Yeah, right? That's right. All about that. All about that. It's personal development right there. I'm gonna let's I'm gonna start off big picture and just ask some hard questions. Start I'm gonna ask a hard question to Alexis. More hard questions. Okay. Yeah. I thought this this is for Erwin. This is this is gotcha journalism at its finest right here. Uh, Jared, you're good. I got okay. Give me give me what you got. What's the what's the biggest lesson so far that Dr. Valencia has taught you? Um I would say it's it's just like the constant reminder that connection is like, it doesn't matter where you go, where you're going. Like if you're not making connection along the way, like you're missing out on the value. So I think, and I mean, you guys, my teammates know me, I'm, you know, pretty like laser focused and um, kind of type A and crazy. So um initially like right i had this grand idea of like the career that i wanted and i think i have a tendency to be laser focused on things like that um and like having erwin in my life and and specifically like mentoring me professionally it has he's constantly asking questions and just reminding me like about connection along the way and like that is for sure the biggest thing that the biggest impact in my career has been like the relationship and the connections um that i've made along the way so i think that and that is for sure comes from dr valencia <laughs> that was that was a hard question but very eloquently answered well yes. thank you <laughs> Same question, but out of Dr. Valencia, what's the biggest lesson that through mentoring Alexis that she taught you? Ooh, Ooh wow. Um, I, think, I think the the power of continuity and, and, and allowing for life to happen. Um, it is often the most difficult thing to see with people that you do mentor to in a sense, look at being off track to be a gift. More often than not, that people think that they have a goal that they need to achieve, a look they need to have, a, a career that needs to be a certain way. Yet life happens, and but there's so much beauty in life itself, and she has gracefully allowed that to happen, yet still have what she yearns for and wants. So that is, I think, what's one of the most beautiful things I've seen her grow into who she is today. That is very sweet. Also, Erwin has been a part of like Alexis as a single professional. Fast forward three years to Alexis as a married with one child and one on the way professional. 
<laughs> so he's seen that rapid acceleration I know. of life. <clears throat> yes, that's true. I mean, I haven't even seen it myself. So, you know, I think that's probably <laughs> one of the greatest lessons. Oh, uh, yeah, Somebody I don't know how. He achieved that part of life where I continue to collect hats, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, having having a child hat collection it's kind of the you know they're equally weighed <laughs> um both both have their own unique challenges uh especially you talk about being off track and 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 taking that with grace now more than ever with with covid and with all the other current issues going on how have how have you yourself dr erwin and how have some of the the professional athletes been handling this this I want to say a dream deferred, but that, that might be too literary, but this, this being off track with a goal that you had for 2020 that might've been completely erased or, um, or deferred. I think, I think it's uh, I think everyone is taking it differently in their own ways. And I think not one shoe fits of what the description is of what this experience of transformation is because it is a transformation. And the challenge that we all faced both me personally is the understanding of being focused of what it is that you still want to achieve but not being sure whether you you can get that within this short period of time so you end up learning about the long game end up learning about what you need to do to maintain um, the long game but looking at what you do every day and every step and every small thing you do and so the challenge with a lot of the athletes are is the unknowing and because as we all know here it's about looking to what that goal is and going backwards from there to create plans and strategies in order to achieve what that is but yet not knowing what it looks like is daunting and so to be able to have that and be able to from my own personal experience um, to have the chance to almost find clarity in what it is you want from a long-term perspective allows you to just live in the moment and and a lot of it is a reminders i have the people that i work with they say look there's only two things that you can really control in this world it's attitude and effort and as long as you have a great attitude as you first wake up in the morning and you put the effort to making sure your day creates impact on the world, everything else you leave up to the universe. I have a question off of that. That was really, that was really deep and profound and I completely agree. Um, you know, when we we were looking at a long-term goal, often we're not able to really achieve that goal without some short-term failure. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, you know, and, and you talk about, you know, having this long-term goal and then kind of working backwards to help kind of inform other programs that, that are not necessarily for that individual, but for another individual. Um, you know, do you think that even so those failures are necessary for that other individual to go through to achieve their long, long-term goals? Or, you know, conversely, are you thinking about, hey, this, this other individual has gone through these failures and now I know what not to do for, this, for the next individual? I think because it is individual, each one of us has to go through these failures yeah. it, because it's different per person. It's that's how we react to it as well, more than anything else. I, I think one person like myself, I can only say for what I experience and it's not even right or moral to try to think that you know what somebody else is experiencing. I mean, look at what's going on in the world in these, this past week 
yeah. you know, it's, it's that lack of understanding that each person is an individual experiencing something different that then has created a disjoint in what the world is going through right now. So even, even in the world that we live in, it's going through these failures in a sense, but reframing it and reframing it instead of calling it failures, calling it lessons, yeah. calling it gifts, um, allowing it to, to create something positive as you grow. And I think having a, mind, a growth mindset more than anything else allows for that to happen. Yeah, if we just want to expand on that a little bit more, um, you know, I, even if it's a lesson, I, I feel like there is something to making a goal, making a short-term goal. And if you don't reach it, making sure to recognize that, you know, maybe the, the wrong word is failure, but, you know, ha, ha, you know, sitting in that kind of uncomfortable feeling of, of not achieving what you thought you would, I think is also an important um, step in the process of getting to the point that you ultimately want to. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is, it is, it is each step in, in, um, in Swahili, in Kenya, they would say pole pole to go up to the mountain when you're climbing Kilimanjaro. It's just about take it little, little by little or step by step. And each of those steps, you don't know whether you're going to step into a wrong rock or a wrong piece, you know, a soft sand or something. So you take it step by step. And sometimes that step isn't good. And sometimes that breath you take when you come up, it's not the best breath or, Maybe you wake up and your back's aching, but you take that and you're right. You sit with it. You reflect on what that means. Take the lessons out of it. And then the, the key is not to dwell on it, but rather move forward. And those, that is where the growth happens. Awesome. I know, especially right now, um, due, to, due to all the, the social events, um, is it Yale that's come out with, uh, they've, they've released their free uh, How to Be Happy course. I don't know if that's the name, but there's, there's oh, these the online. Of, yeah, the Science of Happiness. Science um, of Happiness. From uh, Lorna Santos, or, or uh, Dr. Lori Santos, yeah. Oh, God. Thank, thank you for that clarification. We'll have to fix that and edit. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there, <laughs> there are these, these courses now. Um, and I know from your social media presence, you're, you're huge on recognizing the importance of gratitude. Why is gratitude so important? For me, it all begins with gratitude. You know, I think gratitude is one of the greatest virtues that we are gifted with because it reminds us of what we currently have and, not to, and, and at the present moment in time, we don't dwell on what we don't. And by having gratitude, it begins with us. It begins with what we have at this moment. And so gratitude and its relationship to well-being plays us a massive, massive role because in the science of well-being, the science of well-happiness, um, well-being is composed of five main things. One is positive emotions. That's why it's called happiness. Um, engagement or the flow that we get. Um, relationships, meaning, and achievements. And sometimes so many people get caught up on the, we're born on this earth, we're placed on this earth to be happy. When in fact, happiness is a positive, merely a positive emotion in the grander scheme of things. And we focus too much on happiness that that can get us down, ironically, because there's days that we are sad. And like failures, we need to be okay with that. You know, to be, hey, I'm going to be sad. That it's okay. You know, but it's only one part of the massive pizza pie that is well-being. But 
on the other hand, gratitude, there's really no ups and downs with it. When you're grateful, you're grateful, you know, and out of every positive psychology intervention that is out there, gratitude and particularly the gratitude letter or the gratitude visit has been proven to show the greatest degree of change in any possible intervention, either coaching or psychological intervention that you can ever basically refer or give to somebody as a recommendation. So it's, it's an amazing part of my personal life because imagine if the science proves that gratitude by simply writing a letter and delivering a letter to somebody and reading that letter and for them to receive it, if that socially and psychologically changes you and changes that degree of change, it also makes it last for a month. So imagine if you just wrote one good letter to somebody every month, you will live a life well lived for the rest of your life. And you don't really have to do it even like physically sometimes. If it's something that you do for yourself or you write, and then in turn, you maybe give to somebody or you have a chat with somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while and let them know how grateful you are of their presence and for them being in your life. And all you have to do is just do it at least once or twice a month. You know, you'll pretty much live a pretty well life. Mad despite or no matter what kind of madness you're going through. Speaking of madness, did you guys just see my cat jump on the keyboard? I did. I, did. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that a cat? Yeah. That was no special effect. I'll send him a letter and just be thankful that he didn't mess up my audio or kick me out of the Zoom meeting. <laughs> no, I didn't hear the I didn't hear the swishy sound. It was I all good. I liked your facial reaction afterward. <laughs> I just I accepted it and I was grateful. <laughs> so what what are there some key elements um in these letters that is there anything specific that we should include there, or just something yes, expressing um, first, yeah, the, the greatest amount of change occurs when it's handwritten um number one when it's handwritten number two that when you deliver it you yourself read it to the person that you're delivering it to before giving it to them and by doing that you tell you basically gift this person and in a sense, force them to receive it. More often than not, people who receive letters of gratitude, they'll, they'll like to say thank you right away or like, oh, let me give you a hug for this or almost want to repay you. It's a natural human reaction that we want to repay a debt immediately. So, but the difference is this, when you do give a gratitude letter, you really set the tone and make this person that you want to give this letter to receive and say, look, I just want you to hold space for me and allow me to read this because this is a gift I want to give you. And having this conversation afterwards and then letting people know all that feeling then allows for that degree of change to be 10x, so to speak, or even more. And that's, and that's challenging in a couple of ways because some people would be very uncomfortable with that, with just yeah. standing and receiving. Alexis is just nodding her head like she has some experience with that, of just receiving that thanks and then not returning it, not because we're typically just kind of whether that's society or whether that's ingrained in us, just be like, oh, thanks, appreciate it. I'm just doing my job. So is that something that society has taught us or is that something that is, what is that? Is that a protective mechanism that we're you, you know, like that? You know, what's funny, you, you mentioned that because I'm um, audio booking a, a book called Sapiens nowadays, uh, just recently, and they actually talked about that. 
they talked about this human reaction that we have to 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 repay a debt in a sense and it comes from you know it comes from thousands of years ago as a homo sapien and, and you know as part of the part of the generations of these thinking beings with opposable thumbs um and i think it's it's like we want to be we want to make sure that we are cleared off of things as quickly as possible um so that then we're we have a sense of freedom and it's kind of interesting and, and also this is this is also something that i've i've reread i've reread re the, the 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 samurai warrior called bushido and as it relates to spiritual health it also has that i think it's ingrained in any kind of valor where we want to live in a sense of freedom where where we are in this sense of service to others and when somebody gives us something we want to make sure we return it back and so looking from it from a from a from a anthropological situation and then looking at it from a valor and honor code situation the fact that they coincide is really an interesting thing to look at do you have any do you have any other tips on that alexis on how to receive thanks without returning it Oh man, that is like the most uncomfortable experience for me. I like, yes, one of the things that I definitely struggle with. Um, I actually love the gratitude letter um, and I, I love writing. So that's like a great way of expression for me. Reading it to someone though is not often, you know, the case. So that's like, I can maybe take that additional step listening to it no thanks i can't i'm like sweating just thinking about it <laughs> the greatest degree of change occurs because of the two components the psychological component of actually writing the, the letter and the social component and those that uncomfortable feeling leads to growth so and hence the reason why it is the greatest intervention with regards to the amount of change that occurs i hear you it's, that's good and science backs it up so yeah, let's let me get those references. <laughs> uh, you can have it right here. Uh, this is one book that has all of the interventions and uh, and the research is behind it too. So you would have that book sitting next. Yeah, to like right next to me. <laughs> well, it's, it's been a, let's just say it's been a busy day. It's been a busy day in the Zoom office uh, today. So I'm I'm curious to see if there's any. Um, science out there or, or studies out there looking at the subsequent effects on that person who's being gifted that letter gratitude uh, gratitude letter um are they are they more likely to do the same are, are they you know do we see in, increased rates of happiness or well-being or even show like shows of uh gratefulness yeah the research actually shows both parties right for, for both parties because what even more so is because what they say is like if you're going through the experiment, allow yourself to share that experience with everybody else. Right. So whether you're the receiver or the giver, it's about being part of the experience and letting people know, I received the letter. Oh my God, let's let you know. I felt amazing. And this is something you should practice. It's something you yeah. add. And, and so that feeling allows you to then have this sense of euphoria, which some of the literature has shown can range to 
probably about a month of feeling that. There's some interventions that are different that can allow for longer, longer change, so to speak. Like some of them even last for about six months, but the, the degree of change and the gravity of change, there's no other intervention that's out there. That's better than it. Very interesting. I, I, I think of this in my own life when, when people have helped me either financially or, or given me wisdom, given me knowledge, um, and then I just feel fuel to help the next generation, whether it's, you know, get, you know, share that same wisdom or, or help them financially or help them, um, you know, intellectually or anything like that. Um, I, I've definitely noticed that in my life and I've seen it in others, you know, this idea of paying it forward once it's been given to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's such a positive um, thing that as a human species, we're really programmed to do. Um, you know, we, we evolved this way. This is the way that we actually were able to come together, interact and create something more than just, you know, um, sticks and stones. Um, so I, I, you know, this is all fitting so well with the anthropological kind of um, foundations of our society. Mm-hmm. This is the way. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything uh, that you do? And I'm, I'm speaking also to Danny, because Danny is our program director for Reach. So he may be the first, he may be a first contact point for a lot of people. You may be the, besides the front desk, you may be the first uh, contact point for people. Is there anything that you do, Dr. Irwin, upon meeting somebody that, that can uh, display this gratitude or display a way that you want this person to experience your, you, yourself working with them? Well, during the time that we were allowed to touch each other, it was, it was the hug. Um, I have a, I, I, I pride myself, and Alexis knows this, of giving probably one of the greatest hugs uh, that somebody can give and receive because I have science to back it up too. So these are evidence-based hugs, huh? These are evidence-based hugs. hugs. Yeah. Evidence-based hugs with, with regards to the amount of oxytocin levels that can be released. (laughs) So it's kind of crazy. I've really, I've taken what's funny is that, is that for so long, I, you know, as, 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 a, as a 12-year-old boy that started teaching meditation um, and loving ancient wisdom and ancient history and, and reading um, books of the samurai and of the monks uh, in China, the flying monks of China, um, and these crazy books that my father always had, and the ninjas and the, the secret code of them and the knights and the, and is, is that it's so interesting to look at the history of all of that that has then shaped the practice of who I am and then going into you know the, the sports medicine sports performance physical therapy profession where now everything is based on science on the physical aspect of things and you know for for 20 years being that and getting to a point where you know you or I, you know well, well I felt I was almost in auto zone mode where if you told me you had a lumbopelvic hip dysfunction somewhere, I can pretty much guess what it is without even touching you in five minutes, you know, um, because of, of the ingraining of like of the study for it, the 10,000 hours spent in order to be an expert, so to speak. And then it's funny as I, as that 20 year mark was coming, like in the, around the 15th year market, I started looking beyond and, and, I ask myself, what's beyond all of this? And as you go higher and higher in the food chain, it becomes personal growth. And the study of once again, going back to everything I learned in a sense when I was little, 
and ancient wisdom, but now bringing it in a perspective of today, how personal growth and some of the teachings that a lot of these coaches, these gurus, the Tony Robbinses, the Jim Quicks, the, the Mark Hyman's, everything, that they're kind of mixing a little bit of science, they're mixing a little bit of ancient wisdom, and then they're putting a lot of like social acceptance or scalability, so to speak. And so having that was very interesting for me because that's the community that I live with. And, and then now I think having more clarity, particularly because of COVID, aligned with the fact that I'm in the middle of a positive psychology program at Penn has then defined what it is for me to, to combine everything I've ever learned in my life in order to not really goal, not really have high performance as a goal, but to live well. And because why do you live, why do you want high performance in order to achieve? And what is achievement? Merely one of the five things in the spectrum of what well-being really means. Because why you want to achieve happiness? But is it really happiness? Or is it so that you can take care of people, which is meaning? So it all goes in this real, really real circle of what is well-being, what now is now defined as well-being through, through the science of positive psychology. So it's been kind of interesting as this going from ancient wisdom and personal growth and then through science, back to science. Oh, he's out. He's got, on that note, what a powerful note to leave on. Like, that, that was all he needed. <laughs> he was like, I'm good. I'm ready. <laughs> no, he had some previous engage, or prior engagements. That was, that was awesome. Danny, I, I, we're hogging the, the mic, Danny. I want you to get in there and ask some questions, my man. I am totally fine being a listener on this one. There's a lot of wisdom in it. So I think it's one of the times when my silence is probably the best action. But well, now I'm also wondering on how I, like you said it, I might be the first person that an athlete meets. How do I give these evidence-based hugs? That's what my immediate smile was. Is I know the heart hug and I want Danny to now practice the heart hug. Yeah. It's like seeing a good movie. It's like it, it meant something for you to see that movie and the experience you had. You're just so excited to share it now with the people you love. Mm. Right? Well, well, there's, there's, there's actually, there's some steps. So first and foremost, first and foremost, ask for consent. That's the number one. I, I think a lot of people forget in this world that touch and particularly now with what's going to happen with touch and purposeful touch is going to be questioned. And it was already questioned during the time when Me Too started because the good people who actually truly gave hugs with an intention to do good, now were scared to, to give a hug because of the fact that maybe there was a hidden underlying tone to that. And so the first thing you do is ask, and even though you're, it's about to happen, you literally use your mindfulness and self-awareness to say, I gotta stop, I gotta ask first if it's okay. Ask for consent beyond anything else, number one. Number two, Explain that you're going to give a hug. Number three, you explain you're going, to, you're going to give a hard hug more than anything else. And then you open, you, you, you open your arms like wide like this. One second. So, so what you're going to do is you're going to open your arms like this. So my heart is here. You come in here. You step. You step in and go in for the real thing. You know, and I say this when you come in, going for the real thing. So come in, hold the diagonal, make sure your, your heads are like right here and you're not like breathing into each other. That gets kind of creepy. So you, you know, come in, hold and really hold and allow your 
to, to the whoever's heart is at, to almost get connected almost to that same heartbeat. And you can do that by taking a nice deep breath in, just one nice deep breath in. You can close your eyes if you wish, and then you exhale, and then just hold. Just stay still in that moment and be mindful and be present just at that moment in time. And some of the science says you need to stay there for really 20 seconds for truly for it to come up here. But I think if you have good intention and you allow that breath and you allow to kind of release. And then, but the key thing is as you're already connected, what the, the key thing is to slowly release. Like you're still touching, you're still touching, you're still touching, you're still touching. And then you can hold. And then when you're done, you say, thank you. Or anything else you say thank you for the hug and then release with eye contact as well and there's three things too that you need to know when you're going through that number one for the dudes i always like to say guys take it easy okay you're already asking for consent don't lead with your penis okay first of all don't do this how you do one you know don't do that crucial mistake yeah do not do that number two don't come in with an a-frame like this because there's really no connection to that you're kind of giving it then it means you're no just no trust and number three don't relieve by tapping because the tapping if you do this you're like oh thanks tapping is a sign of of uncomfort un discomfort mm. and showing your discomfort and your non-trust of this person because you're tapping because you're trying to release that wow way. that is so true think wow. about like being someone you're like eh not super into you yeah. definitely do the tap Ooh. so those, those those are the things that you have to be mindful of as you do get the hug uh, after you get them get some good scent of course so so yeah so that is the and, and I, I will be pressed to say that it's not me that that invented this so to speak i was very blessed to learn it from a gentleman named jeff marks who was the guy that founded Avenue Q, uh, which is a, a, a Tony Award-winning uh, Broadway show with Muppets, like kind of like a like a Muppet show, but it was very adult Muppet show. And he also co-wrote the Book of Mormons um, in Broadway, but he had to sell his name and his rights to it because him and the South Park people were having an having a really bad fight with each other. Plus, it was it was a dark time in his life. So, but. He ironically, after he left the Book of Mormon, went to Burning Man and took it upon himself to just observe people. You know, that, this is how he created his Broadway shows. Tony Ward winning Broadway shows is by observing people. And so he observed which of the hugs gave people the biggest smiles and the amazing feeling as they left that hug. And so he spent the entire like 10 days he was at Burning Man to kind of almost decipher what that was. And so I met him in Dominican Republic while he was on stage. And he said, I don't want to be known as the Tony Award winning creator of Avenue Q. I just want to be known as the world's best hugger. And he had these amazing business cards that were like pretty and all that other stuff. And I was like, I was mesmerized and I was like, okay, cool. I was like, I love that. I love that. And I, but then in my head, I was like, I'm sure there's some science behind that. And that's when my mind started working. And so since then, and I, I learned it in 2013. So every event that I go to, 
every talk that I give, it's part of the three things that I start every talk with. I start with gratitude, a selfie, and hugs. So whether it's 100, one, 10 people or 100 people or 500 people in the room, we're going to give hugs. I'm going to teach you how to give a proper hug. So. And why the selfie? Huh? Why the selfie? It just, it was one of those things back in 2013 that, you know, especially for the Asian population in the Philippines is like everybody, I mean, selfies were crazy. Like, you know, you go, Chizu, you know, you know, when we were just being in Japan and Korea and I was based out of the Philippines at that time, it was just one of those things that like it, it captured the moment and then it allowed for people to once again, I, I just pushed most of, of, I had a company called Kinetic and we, we were in the intersection of sports medicine workshops and personal growth. And I wanted to create discomfort and uncomfortable sensations from the beginning on to break the ice. And, you know, these high level academics, these orthopedic surgeons that were in the audience, I said, you got to stand up and take a selfie. You got to stand up and give hugs. You got to start, you got to remember to give gratitude. And then the change was more dramatic. And even though, you know, the company itself, we didn't really make that much money. Um, but the impact that we created and our, if our KPI was making people happy, then we made a lot of people happy. I remember Erwin being um, visiting you in Florida. I think I was there. I forget what I was there for. Maybe I was with University Tampa. of Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. and then I was at USF. I hung out with you at USF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but didn't we stop by your kinetic office? Remember, it was like a workspace. Um, oh, yeah. That was we so did. long ago. Yes. Oh, um, my God. At the Tampa Wave <laughs> co-working space. Yes had a co-working space that was like when co-working spaces just started yeah um, that was the first one in Tampa in the round building no surprise you were there um <laughs> so but now I'm thinking about it how like yes kinetic was that integration of like influence and and personality and sports medicine and science and like just I think it's so cool now to see even my career again like the focus on integration, like that is the number one thing that we're doing at reach. And, um, just that connection again, like goes back to even Jared's first question, like how you've influenced my career, like identifying connection and prioritizing connection, but also that integration piece, like you do it seamlessly. Like you, I mean, we were talking the other day and you were like, Alexis, you don't want to be a personality. I was like, no, <laughs> that is not me at all. But you do that seamlessly. Um, you <laughs> live a literally like a life of integration, which is, that's, that's challenging for our society, for our generation. Like that's challenging. For the profession. The profession. For the profession yeah. Because yeah. you have to be, I think it's it's so weird that for, for, for such a long time, you had to be a certain way. You had to look a certain way. You you weren't really a meathead, but you knew about weights and that you were smarter. You know, it was like this weird, like, but that's it. But if you get happier than that, then no, you don't belong in that world, you know? And I think it's just because I've always been a maverick. I've always kind of just wanted to push the envelope of what it is, even when I was little, not even little, I think even when I was in high school, I was the first guy in, in my high school to wear my pants backwards because I was all about crisscross, you know? I was all about jump, jump, crisscross will make you jump, 
chill. The daddy Mac will make you. <laughs> you know, so the, I was just really, and, and I love the fact that everyone just dissed me and hated on me. And I said, you know, but I'm just expressing myself and I, I don't give a rat's ass for anybody else, you know? And it's kind of funny to think about that. There's a great video um, just recently posted um, by Gary Vee. Uh, you, guys, you guys know who Gary Vee is? So Gary Vee posted something about empathy. And because somebody asked him, what do you think about those people that listen to you, that just looked at you at this one episode? I forgot what's the name of that. Um, Jared, do you know the name of that, 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 that show or that thing that he showed up in for 49 seconds or they did like some quick kind of BuzzFeed type of situation? Where he talked oh, about yeah, I can't, I can't remember. Um, un, uncensored or uncut or something like that. And, and then, but then there are a lot of people who've never seen him before. And they were like, who is this guy? And why is he talking so much crap? You know, he's so brash, he's so rude or whatever. We don't like him, you know? And so the question was by the host of now the podcast that he was in, what do you, what is, what do you, how do you react to that? And I say, I, he said, you know, I, I show them empathy because I know if I see somebody for the first time in a meeting for the first time and the impression I get is, the, is what I see for the 49, 49 seconds, I don't know who that person is. So all I'm seeing is this glimpse of what that person is. And if it doesn't, doesn't make me feel good, then I don't like him, you know? And I understand that's a normal reaction to have. So I empathize with them because I know where they're coming from. I would be upset if somebody that's known me forever, Alexis, out of the blue, says one day that I was a really rude person. It's like, I've known this girl for 10 years. Why would she call me? Then I would be hurt about that, you know? And trying to have empathy for that is tough. Now you're going to ask yourself, you start having limited beliefs and start questioning what it is that you've done. But a person that's never seen you and never, never really like known who you are and what you stand for and what you've done for the greater society, you know, all they see is that glimpse of brashness that you show for 49 seconds. And so I give them empathy. That's all I do. And I said, that's a, such an amazing, that, that was why I was like, I know Gary pretty well. And, and so for him to say that was pretty amazing. Of course, a little bit on brand because his wine is called Empathy Wines too. So <laughs> sure that was strategic. I know. <laughs> and knowing Gary, that's pretty strategic. So <laughs> what's that number? Hey, text, text Empathy Wines to get on the list. <laughs> we'll, we'll drop that. He's actually sponsoring this podcast, by the way. So that's, that's funny you brought that up. <laughs> Um, that's great, man. We are, we're wrapping up, coming to the end of an hour here. Any other, any other questions, Danny, Alexis, there's, we, we covered so much ground, man. I know. And then we didn't even talk about physical therapy. Either, huh? I yeah. Know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is just the, the advent as I was talking about. I think I, I, I've gone from, you know, as, as you start your career, you, you know, you, you go and you say, I want to be. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's funny. I, I think it's a very normal, to, the first thing you learn about really is like the feet. You get comfortable with like how to deal with ankle sprains and foot and all that stuff. Like, I want to be the best foot person. And then you're like, oh, the knee, the knee's kind of cool. And like, oh, now I want to be the knee person. And then, oh, the hip, oh, the hip's complicated. Let's go to the shoulder real quick or the elbow or whatever. And then the back, ooh, the back, back to the back. But then you challenge the back and you're like, oh, the back's, oh, I, I finally get it. And they're like, how about the hip? Oh yeah, that's the, that's the golden thing right there. 
that's the hip is the one that gets and then after that you're like okay i, I got everything pretty much covered this guy this guy or girl this athlete is not even getting better something else is going on and and, and then you learn that there's something bigger and you start going up 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 and you realize that um that it all then goes to where it all starts which is your brain and now from the studies that are going on from heart math as they show too that the amount of nerve endings that the heart has almost has the same amount of nerve endings as the brain and so so the amount of emotions and what emotions and that feeling that you get when your heart hurts is a real feeling and so when you think about the challenges that all of our patients and clients kind of deal with it isn't always going to be coming from the muscle you know or the bone or the joint a lot of it will also come from the brain but a lot of it also will come from the heart and you have to take time for that to understand that and to truly have a holistic approach of doing things you have to be willing to sometimes ask some challenging questions and obviously if it goes down to something that's beyond your scope of practice your ability to pass it along but make sure you recognize it and i think that's one of the biggest lessons that i've learned it's like recognize when something is beyond what you think and instead of you creating stories that you can fix this refer make a suggestion or have a conversation that's real in order to then to in order for then the change to occur and i think that was the biggest lessons i learned from ironically uh, going to australia and spending time and learning biopsychosocial approach um, so um, yeah I think that's so powerful, Erwin, like as a, a seasoned clinician, like someone who's been practicing for a long time, like to hear you say, no, it's not that you get gain more experience and wisdom and then you can treat everything. No, you're literally saying like with more experience and wisdom, you're recognizing more efficiently what you can't and shouldn't treat mm -hmm. and therefore helping your clients and your athletes. Um, I think that's that's pretty powerful because especially as a young clinician, you you expect it to be the opposite, right? You think, man, in twenty years I can treat everybody, I can fix everybody, and that's that's not the that's not the case. And, and which once once again goes back to ancient wisdom: the greatest teachers are the greatest students. Hmm. You know, it's those that can admit that like they don't know everything, um, and hence the reason why Tony Robbins' Netflix show is called "I'm Not Your Guru." You know because it's about admitting that you have your own faults and that you're not the best or not the expert at anything, you know? And, but there's things that you're passionate about. And if you don't have the answer to those questions, the most powerful thing you can do is help that person by letting them go somewhere else. I think that's an important takeaway and letting yourself be part of the solution, not not uh, making yourself the solution. Mm -hmm. I think that's a hard pill to swallow for some clinicians. Oh, very, very. Because in the end, everyone's afraid of the, the ego. So afraid of losing something, of losing clients, of losing money, of losing fame, of losing more Instagram followers or whatever you want to call it. it it's, it's this big, big cycle. And if there's anything that COVID has taught us or anything that um, current issues of, of race and gender and inequality have taught us it's about in a sense understanding who you are and staying in your lane and being aware of how you can help and not not be forced 
or be pressured by society or pressured by people around you that you have to be a certain way. That if you're an individual and you can step into your own greatness the way you want to and the way you can show up for, and nothing else matters, nothing else should matter. And would you interweave that with the abundance versus scarcity mindset as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. yeah, because I think and it's, it's when we discover who we are and are comfortable in it and even go through this dip or challenge, uh, um, as we were talking about in this failure that we would, but when we then allow ourselves to like step into that discomfort, it's that when that's, that's when the river flows and abundance is just never ending, you know, and, and every day of your life is waking up like you're in a dream because you're living it and not waiting for the weekend to occur or not waiting till you retire, you know, because what you're doing every day is something that, you know, you were born to do. It's powerful. Man, I got a lot of quotes on this one. Let me yeah. tell you record this. <laughs> I need to quote myself. I started making these, you know, it was funny. I actually started making, actually today, actually last week I started posting up my own quotes on like, um, on my, I do, I, I, I post my daily gratitude every morning and then I post a quote every night. And starting last week, I started posting my own. And I, and I learned that because I didn't realize that Gary has these little posters that he has of his quotes that people, oh, that's a great quote. And then what they do is like, they get his quote, they put it on like a poster and it's like an Instagram story, right? I was like, that's a good, I have a lot of quotes. Yeah. I'm, I need to, I need to like do this. Yeah, repurpose <laughs> yourself. Doing it. Huh? Repurpose yourself. Yeah, exactly, repurpose myself. Exactly. Yeah, you're gonna see some quotes on our social media from, from this one for sure. <laughs> Definitely an abundant one. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you oh, so you much, man. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, Danny. Good. Right, I was just. These are just random questions, Aaron. You said you're stationed in the Philippines, or you said you were you live there? No, no. I, I, I I'm Filipino, and I, I grew up. I, I finished uh, PT school first in the Philippines, uh, 1999. Can you believe that? It's, it's 2020 right now. Yeah. Where at in the? I'm well. My mom and my mom's family is from the Philippines. Where where in the Philippines are you from? Oh, my, my, uh, I grew up in Manila in, in a village called Alabang. Uh, my dad is from Davao and my mom is from, my mom is from Quezon. So, and so I think for me, home will all, Philippines will always be my home in a sense. And I think in the future, as, as I kind of move forward in my life and I see the grander mission, it, it will involve going home to the Philippines. Yeah, I think uh, some of my mom's family's from Manila and then Tarlac. Tarlac, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my, my mom, one of my mom's side is in Nueva Ecija, which is close to Tarlac. Cool. I, I, I was like, wow, okay, we got some Filipino love going in the house. Too, huh? <laughs> you know, a diverse team wouldn't have it <laughs> the other way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Erwin, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so glad that these guys got to meet you because I've talked a ton about you. And um, yeah, so I'm so thank you so much for doing this for your time. Of course, my dear. You know, anything for you. Appreciate you. I miss right. you. One of these days, I'll see ya. One of these days. One of these days. Thank you guys for having me. Much gratitude. Much gratitude for having me. Yeah. Gratitude. I appreciate you. Yeah. Hopefully, we get to meet in person. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. One love for everybody, you know? I just, I appreciate the crisscross reference the most. So thanks for that. That was <laughs> yeah. awesome. I'm trying to picture you in backward pants now. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we wow. can bring it back. Senior year of high school. Ooh, that, that's, when I, that's when I was a hip hop choreographer at the age of 16. So, yes. Of course yes. you were. You probably didn't even know that, Alexis. I actually didn't, but I'm not surprised I, I had, at all. I had, I, had a, I had a crew named uh, Da Mob, D A Mob, the meaning of brotherhood. You know, that's oh. like, like a of, like, Filipino. So you say da, like you don't say like the, you want to say da, you know, da thing, you know. So you say, the meaning of brotherhood. So that's why it was like the meaning of brotherhood. That is. And, and then our shirts were all crisscross, crisscross colored shirts and everything. Like that, yeah. Good old days. Good that's old awesome. days. Yeah. One last question. Uh, karaoke. It's a huge deal, right? Oh, I'm king. I'm king Are karaoke. Karaoke king. And so, so is every Filipino in this planet. You should be carrying karaoke too, dude. I think it, I think it died with, with me. <laughs> no. It's not about it being dead. It's about the fact that it's just hidden within you. And Whatever Reach Outcomes does next will involve karaoke. Yes. As it yes. Should. Yes. And, and here's, here's, yes. A, here's a funny thing to say is that I, so um, I, since last year, I've been doing these, um, I've been doing these gatherings and I call it holding court uh, when I travel around with work. And every city I go to that I know I have a good community of people, I say, I send out a text message to the community and I said, hey, LA fam, or hey, Miami fam, I'm holding court. And we're holding court at, and in Miami, we normally hold court at this place called 100 Lucky. And it's this like frontage of like a vintage record store with an Asian Chinatown theme. But in the back, it's like this food court Asian food court in the back. And then there's, and then there's an outdoor area that becomes like a club where the bar is. And then there's a hidden speakeasy door that becomes like a speakeasy karaoke bar. That's cool. And only like one special group gets to go in there. That's and so cool. I, every time I go there, I'm like, we're getting the room. <laughs> we're getting the room. That is awesome. Also low key. Erwin status of literally having pockets of people in every major city <laughs> in the country that he can go to and just call on his people. That is amazing. And I'm happy to be one community. of those people. You know, connection and community, as you, as you yeah. mentioned. And, and just to add before, before I end, just to add a little bit of science to that too, is that I don't know if you guys are familiar with the grant study. The grant study was the longest study done as it relates to happiness and longevity. Hmm. And the grant study was done at Harvard and it studied and followed people for 75 years. Um, and at the end of 75 years, they tried to figure out what was the most important thing that allowed people to not only live long, but also be happy. And can anybody guess what that was? What's the one factor that you think people will live the longest and be the happiest? I give you guys one guess each. Gratitude. Yeah, that's in there. Uh, that was a component of it. But what was the what was the strongest variable? That's the I guess the right question. How many hugs they got a day? Options of variables. 
What like what's an example of a variable? You know, people will be like, oh, do they exercise? Oh. They drink wine. Um, family or connection? Yeah, like community, something. The strength of their social connections. Mm. People live the longest, not because they drank wine every night or they exercise or eat fish. Um, it was because they all felt like they all played a role in each other's lives. And so when you go to the blue zones around the world, when you go to places like Nosara in Costa Rica or Okinawa in Japan or Sardinia in Italy, the people that are the centennials that live a hundred years old and above, even though they, yes, they have nice diet and they exercise and they go around their bikes and they live pretty simply. It's the fact that they play a major role in each other's lives as they age that lets them live longer. And so that's why sometimes when one person dies, all of them start dying because everyone feels like they're connected um, in almost in true, in true, true form. Wow. So I know you probably guys were thinking he's going to spit some like, <laughs> he's going to spit some like um, research on lumbopelvic hip dysfunction or we're going to no, look no, at no. sciatic nerve issues. And I'm throwing out like, no, no. psychology. Yeah. <laughs> Love like, it. I mean, this is a weird, non-clinical situation. Anyways, so. More yeah, important. We, I think I like this better. <laughs> this is a good break, man. You, you need this for sure. I love it. Awesome. Erwin, you. you're the best. I love you. Thank you. I will see you. I'll talk to you soon.